Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest presents part three of the series, Fundamentals of Worship. Say it with me. We're a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world, where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Woohoo! Hallelujah. We're talking about the fundamentals of worship. This is part three in the series. I'm really excited about this because worship has always been a big part of my life. And I maintain that if you're a born again, spirit filled believer and worship isn't a big part of your life, something is missing in your life. (laughs) Because I think if you love the Lord, you will become a worshiper. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to recap last week. We talked about the progression of worship. That's kind of where we ended off. And we talked about how that there's symbolism contained in Psalm 100 that you have to have an understanding of the tabernacle that Moses built and eventually the temple that Solomon built. You have to have an understanding of of how those structures were built to understand Psalm 100. So, We're going to talk about this again. We're going to recap this again. And we're going to start by reading Psalm 100, verse 1 through 5. Very, very familiar passage of Scripture. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is good. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Amen. So we have to understand the layout of the tabernacle and the temple and we'll be talking about that as we go. But make a joyful noise is a very interesting phrase that that term there, joyful noise, actually, it actually literally means to break something, to make a racket, to make noise, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So it cancels the excuse of, Brother Scott, I can't sing, so I don't make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We're not talking about three-part harmony here. That's not what God's talking about. He's talking about there's a time to make a joyful noise to the Lord. There's a time to make a racket and break things off of your life like oppression, addiction, sickness, disease, poverty, and replace them with life, liberty, and joy, and preservation, and healing. Amen. Hallelujah. So when the worship leader says, let's make some noise in this place, you know, he's entirely or she is entirely scriptural, when they do that, let's make some noise in the house of the Lord. How about it? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. We don't want no religious devils feeling comfortable in this place. Amen. So we're going to shout every once in a while. And maybe eventually we'll run every once in a while and jump up and down because the Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. So don't give me the excuse you can't sing. I don't care if you sound like a donkey in a tin barn. Let it rip. Let it rip. God sees the heart. 
that's all he's concerned about. Steffi thought that was funny. <laughs> I painted a mental picture that she's trying to release right now. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Okay. So one of the ways you come before his presence is through singing. So it's appropriate to sing to the Lord songs unto him. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse three says, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Amen. One of the things that I'm always mindful of when I come into the presence of the Lord is that he is my creator. He is the one that made me. He knows everything about me. I can't hide anything from him. So I might as well come open and honest before the presence of God and just open my heart to him because he knows anyway. I mean, whether you utter the prayer or not, he knows the prayer of your heart. Whether you cry out or not, he knows the cry of your heart, the heart cry. He knows it. Sometimes he'll answer the heart cry before you even utter it because he knows you that well. Amen. Glory to God. Listen, I have a Ph.D. in engineering, and I used to teach math, statistics, engineering, and I used to hang out with some pretty sharp, smart, intellectual dudes, okay? But just because you're smart, just because you're educated, just because you're intellectual doesn't mean you're wise because some of that crowd I hung around with, they go hook line and sinker for Darwinian evolution, which on its face is ridiculous when you look at the real science of it. And I'm not going to go there, even though I feel the tractor beam pulling me that way. I'm not going to let it happen. Okay. I'll just say this. When I read that, when it says we are his people, we are the ones that he created. He is our creator. I'm mindful of Romans chapter one, where it says that there's a class of people who suppress the truth of the existence of God, even though on the inside they know there is a God. And that goes for Stephen Hawking, who went on to his reward, whatever that was. He might have said there was no God, but in his heart of hearts he knew there was. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Twice it says that. And I say you're a fool for two reasons. Number one, the evidence to the contrary is abundant. And number two, you really don't believe that. When push comes to shove, you'll cry out to God. You know, you've heard the saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. There's plenty of those atheists. When they got into combat, they started calling out to Jesus. <laughs> you know, when the bullets and the bombs start flying, you call out to Jesus. Amen. Now, I know that's a rabbit path, but we caught some pretty juicy rabbits. Amen. So when you come into the presence of God, you need to be mindful of the fact that you are a created being. He created you. He is your maker. He is your shepherd. And you are a sheep. <laughs> you know, that's not exactly a flattering thing to say, but it is the truth nevertheless. And I, I don't think that the Lord's trying to demean us when he says, you're the sheep and I'm the shepherd. He's just trying to get us to realize we need to follow him just like a flock of sheep listen to the voice of their shepherd and they follow him. It reminds me, again, another rabbit trail. 
This is Rabbit Trail Day, uh, a story that was very germane. I thought about this last night when I was tweaking my message. Trish and I were in Jerusalem in 1982, a long time ago. I was with the Marines. Uh, we were ported in Naples, uh, and then we moved from Naples to Haifa. We got to Haifa, Israel. I called my wife and I said, you're coming because we're going to be here long enough for you to spend some time with me. So she flew into Tel Aviv, and then I went and got her and brought her back to Haifa, and she spent a week with me uh, in Jerusalem. And so we were in Nazareth, and there was this little shopping bazaar in the Arab section of this city. It's just a little village. And uh, there was all these sterling silver shops and all this. And, of course, you know, I'm just like, okay. Just wake me when it's over, you know. I'm just sort of following her from shop to shop, and I'm just people watching and looking at the, you know, the shop owners and listening to all the little, uh, all the different languages, you know, and seeing if I could tell the difference between Hebrew and Arabic, and you know, I'm just kind of minding my own business. And all of a sudden, I see a flock of sheep just drift into town, into the center of this bazaar. And there's probably I don't know, seventy, eighty of them. And they come in, and the shepherd was with him, and he had a staff, and the shepherd was walking through the town, and he got distracted. He started window shopping, and he stopped, and he looked through this window, and I can't remember what he was looking at, but he stood there for a while just checking out the merchandise. And, of course, the sheep, being sheep, they just started to wander. It was funny. It was like a cloud began to disperse, you know, and I just watched, and I, and I said to myself, I'm going to see how he handles this, you know. And so after a few minutes, he became aware of it, and he turned around, he took his staff, and he smacked it against the, the cobblestone street a couple of times, and he said something that sounded like, yet, yet. And all of those sheep just converged on him. Within, I mean, within 10 seconds, they were right there, right next to the shepherd, and he took them out of town. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, my sheep know my voice and the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. They knew the voice of the shepherd. If I had said yet, yet, they wouldn't have done anything because they didn't recognize my voice, but they recognized his voice and they came and followed him wherever he led them. Amen. So long point, but it's a good point. When you come into the presence of God, you're mindful that he's your shepherd and you're the sheep. You can hear the voice of the Lord sometimes in the presence of the Lord and you can receive guidance in your life. Something you've been seeking the Lord about for weeks and months, just one moment in the presence of God can drop into your spirit and you know exactly what to do. You know the answer. You know which way to go. Amen. One of the benefits of spending time in his presence is receiving that kind of specific direction from the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So here we see the beginning of a progression of worship. Now it's talking about coming into physical gates and into a physical courtyard, but it's a type of the progression of praise and worship. You come into his gates with thanksgiving. Being thankful for what God has done for you. And you sing songs about what he's done for you. And they are mostly centered on you and what he's done for you. You come into his courts with praise. 
praise begins a transition from pure thanksgiving to thanking him for what he's done and then shifting the focus to him and start to talk about his goodness, his mercy, and his love. And then eventually, you get down here to the last verse. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Eventually, you get to the place where the focus completely shifts off of you to him and you begin to say who he is because he's worthy. You worship him. You talk about his attributes. You talk about his mercy, his love, his character. All the focus is on him. And that's the progression. Very simple. Thanksgiving, praise, and then worship. And then enter in into the manifest presence of God. Okay. Now, in a minute, I'm going to talk about how that you don't have to follow that sequence exactly like that. It's not a formula. Sometimes you could be in the middle of praise and worship or break out in the praise song. It's not the song that you're singing. It's the attitude of the heart. Okay. It's not a hard and fast rule like, well, Thanksgiving and praise songs are fast and worship songs are slow. Now, there's plenty of worship songs that are upbeat and rowdy, and yet they are worship. There are slow songs that are thanksgiving and praise. So, like I said, it's not, it's not a formula, but it's a general pattern that typifies a progression from coming into the courtyard through the gate. When you come through the gate into a courtyard, you leave the outside world behind you with all of its troubles and all of the things that are weighing you down. You leave all that behind. And you come into the courts of the Lord and you make up your mind you're going to worship him whether you feel like it or not. Why? Because he's worthy. And for that reason alone, Hebrews 13, 5 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. A sacrifice of praise means exactly that. It's a sacrifice. It costs you something. Sacrifice is when you do something you don't want to do or you give something you don't want to give. That's a sacrifice. Come into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, and then you worship him because of who he is, not because of what's going on in your life. Amen? You make a decision, you're going to worship him. Glory to God. Verse 5 of Psalm 100 is the transition to worship. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. See, the focus is shifted entirely to Him. And the only mention of the generations is so that the generations know that His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures, and the Lord is good. Hallelujah. Remember when they dedicated Solomon's temple there in 2 Chronicles chapter 5? We talked about it a couple messages ago. So the place was filled with the smoke of God. The priest couldn't even stand to minister. And they said, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. You know, it really gets simple when you get in the presence of the Lord. Oh, God, I love you. You're my everything. All the flowery, fancy words go out the window and your heart comes out. Lord, I love you. Praise you. You are worthy. I worship you because you're good. Your mercy endures forever your truth endures to all generations i worship you lord glory 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 to god hallelujah hallelujah 
We talked about how last week that Psalm 100 is a pretty good model of the progression of worship, Old Testament and even New, but it falls short in one important area. It takes you through the gates, into the courts, but stops right there. It does not take you into the holy place or into the holy of holies. So we're going to talk about that. There was a reason Psalm 100 had to stop there because the price had not been paid yet. Jesus had not paid the sacrifice to make the way for us to go into the holiest place, the holy of holies. Glory to God. So let's talk about the symbolism of the holy place. First of all, you come from the outer court through the gate into the inner court And the first thing you see on your right is the giant brazen altar where the blood sacrifice is offered. On the left, you see the bronze laver where the ceremonial cleansing was accomplished. And then you see the first veil that would take you into the holy place. Okay. Notice, I wanted to get this out before I began in case I forgot. Notice the blood sacrifice is a type of the blood of Jesus that would be shed to make the way for us to be able to go into the holy place. The bronze lava is a type of the water of the word, Ephesians 5, 26, and the cleansing that we would be required, would be required of us to enter into the holy place. So the blood of Jesus on the right, the word of God on the left, and both of those qualify us to go into the holy place, okay, through the first veil and then on into the second veil into the holy of holies. I wanted to get that out in case I forgot. So let's talk about the symbolism of the holy place. Only the priests could enter the holy place because they were cleansed by the water of the bronze laver, the washing of the water of the word. I said Ephesians 5:26 and blood was shed on the brazen altar typifying the blood sacrifice that Jesus would one day make for us to transition us from the courts into the inner presence of God. So the priests were cleansed by the word and by the blood before they went into the holy place. It was a type of leaving the old covenant and entering into a better covenant established upon better promises sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Inside the holy place, there were three pieces of furniture, which were essentially instruments of worship, but they're highly symbolic. And there's so much here. The symbolism is so rich. I'm going to tell you what I know, but there's more than I know here. There's so much symbolism I'm going to have to gloss over, but I want to hit the high points. First of all, you come through the first veil into the holy place, and you see to your right a table of showbread. It was a small, low table. It had two rows of six loaves of bread, unleavened bread, which is a type of no sin. Okay? It's a type of the bread of life, Jesus Christ our sinless sacrifice who made the way for us to go into the holy place. On the left was the golden candlestick. It had seven branches, and it burned with olive oil, an obvious type of the Holy Spirit. You know, without Jesus making the way for us, he said, no man comes to the Father but by me. And without the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can't enter into the holiest place. Everybody follow me? And then right before the second veil that led into the holy of holies, there was an altar of incense where coals from the altar outside in the courtyard were brought in and incense was burned and that smoke went up and it went through the veil 
the Bible uses incense many times as a type of prayer. So get the picture. In order to go into the holy place, it took the shed blood of Jesus and the cleansing properties of his word. And then again, once we get into the holy place, we are reminded of the showbread, which is a type of the bread of life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And also the Holy Spirit on the left. By the way, seven branches on this lampstand, which speak of the sevenfold Spirit of God uh, mentioned in Revelation 3.1. Isaiah 11, verse 2. Now, this is a little factoid, but you might jot this down because if you read Revelation 3.1, it says before the throne of God is the seven spirits of God. It's a little confusing, okay? Until you read Isaiah 11, verse 2. Hear me out. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and and of the fear of the Lord. Okay, so let's count them. And the spirit of the Lord, that's one, shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, that's two. And understanding, that's three. The spirit of counsel, that's four. Might is five. Knowledge is six. And the fear of the Lord is seven. So there's the sevenfold aspects of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And they're required in our lives if we're to enter into his presence. Because later on, Jesus told the woman of the well, we're going to talk about this in John chapter four. He said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. OK, so you have to have the Holy Spirit in your life. In, in fact, in you, in your innermost being before you can really commune with God and mingle your spirit with his. OK, all of this is typified in all of this furniture uh, that you find here in the holy place. Hallelujah. So incense speaks of the prayers of the saints, which many times carry us right into the presence of God. Amen. Let's talk about the symbolism of the holy of holies. Now, going somewhere with this. So y'all just keep your learning caps on here. Once you stepped inside the veil, you entered the holy of holies. In other words, you couldn't get any closer to God than you did when you were in that place. Once a year, the high priest would come after an elaborate cleansing ceremony, and he'd offer up the blood of a sacrifice, which would atone or cover for the sins of the previous year. Just cover, okay? The high priest would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, which was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which was the only thing that you find in the Holy of Holies, okay? The Ark of the Covenant was a box with some staves carrying poles on either side, And on top of the lid, there were two cherubims that sort of faced each other, and they kneeled, they bowed, and they sort of stretched their wingtips forward like this until their wingtips met, and they covered what was called the mercy seat. And the high priest would take the blood of the sacrifice, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And God would forget or temporarily overlook the sins of that past year. Hallelujah. There on the mercy seat was the manifest presence of the Lord. So All of the things we've been talking about here at Faith Life Fellowship are found in types and shadows in the tabernacle, in the holy place, in the holy of holies. The manifest presence hovered over the mercy seat, sometimes a pillar of smoke and sometimes a pillar of fire. Remember from the days of Moses taking them through the wilderness, they were led by night by the fire, the column of fire, and by day, the column of smoke. Okay. It was the manifest presence of God. And here it resided over this mercy seat. 
Glory to God. The common people couldn't enter the holy place, much less the holy of holies. They had to be represented by a priest. Amen. But that's no longer true. Amen. When the high priest, Jesus, entered into the actual holy of holies, the real holy of holies, and spread and sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat of heaven, it paved the way for all of us to be able to enter in to the holy of holies boldly and not drop dead in his presence. You know, the high priest would have bells woven into the fabric of their robes. So if something happened, if they did something out of order or out of course, it did something not according to the law, they would drop dead. And, you know, some people say they had a rope tied around their ankle. And when they heard the bells go off and a thud, you know, they just pulled the guy out and said, okay, who's next on the high priest list? You know, your turn, you know. All of these things that are represented in the tabernacle and in the temple, the earthly counterparts reflect what is actually in heaven. Glory to God. Glory to God. And now these scriptures that I'm about to read to you are going to make a whole lot more sense. Mark chapter 15, verse 37 through 39 in the Passion Translation. This is talking about when Jesus finally gave up the ghost. He'd been on the cross for six hours And it says here in Mark chapter 15, verse 37, Just then Jesus passionately cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn in two from the top to the bottom. When the Roman military officer who was standing right in front of Jesus saw how he cried, he said, There is no doubt this man was the Son of God. Now, I remember one of the Jesus movies John Wayne plays the centurion. He goes, this was the son of God, truly, you know. I'm going to find that movie because I want to watch it again. Amen. That was a terrible John Wayne impression, so y'all just give me some grace. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22 in the New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Amen. Amen. So in the context of the progression of worship, because of the blood of Jesus, we can be born again and come boldly into the presence of God. We can enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise, but we no longer have to stay in the courts of the Lord. We can press on into the holy place and then into the holy of holies, the most intimate place in the very heart of God. Amen. We can do so boldly. Jesus referred to this kind of worship as worship in the Father, spirit to spirit, in spirit and in truth. I'm going to end with this. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 in the New Living Translation. I mentioned it earlier. Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in Samaria, and he said to her, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and 
and in truth. Listen to this. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You could not worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, spirit to spirit, until your spirit got born again. Otherwise, they couldn't mingle because your spirit was dead to God. But when you came to Christ, the Bible says you became a new creation. Old things passed away. Everything became new and all things were of God. In other words, on the inside of your three part being, your spirit, soul and body, your spirit was made perfect, just like God. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 talks about put on the new man, which is created after God in true righteousness and holiness. Whether you feel like it or not, if you're born again on the inside, you're perfect. And of course, we know the challenge of the Christian life is to take what's in you and have it manifest on the outside, in your soul and in your body. Amen. Now that you're born again, and especially since most of you are filled with the Holy Ghost, there is nothing to prevent you from going right into the presence of God and worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And it doesn't have to take five or ten minutes of coaxing and going through thanksgiving praise and worship and then into His presence. Listen, with a little bit of practice and knowing who you are in Christ, you can enter into the presence of God Within a few moments, you can step right in to his presence. Say, Father, I worship you. I recognize your manifest presence is here right now. I can do it because I've trained myself. Within seconds, I can enter the presence of God. And within minutes, I can feel the manifest presence of the Lord. Okay. Why can I do that? Because I'm born again. Because I'm spirit filled. Because I am a spirit being on the inside. That's why he said, Father's a spirit. So if you're going to worship him, you've got to worship him as a spirit, in spirit. And it also says, the Father is seeking some to worship him that way. He is seeking you out. He's saying, come and spend some time with me in my presence. Commune with me. Let's get to know one another. Let's become one like never before. Take the invitation. Say to yourself, I'm going to be a worshiper. I'm going to spend time in his presence, not just corporately, but privately. When I get alone with the Lord, enter his presence. Hallelujah. It's not that hard. Praise the Lord. Amen. Listen, we're going to end with a song. Catch the wind. I know I've been wearing that song out and we're going to do it eventually here. But I want you to just spend a few minutes here just worshiping the Lord and just listen to this progression because this is where we're going as a church. This is what we desire to happen in this church. Sing songs, but then get into the presence. Flow with the Spirit. Crank her up. Hallelujah. Some of you know it. Sing it if you know it. I am strong.
I like this song because there's so many elements that we're looking for in praise and worship. The song begins with declarations of who she is in Christ. I am bold, no fear inside. And then it progresses to a worship chorus about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. And then she begins to sing in the spirit, singing in tongues. And then... It transitions to sort of a, a more mellow vibe, and she begins to make prophetic declarations and loose healing oil. And all of that last part of that, I know this because Marcy helped uh, publish this. My oldest daughter works for Bethel Music, helped publish this actual song. She said all of the free worship was totally spontaneous. None of it was rehearsed. That's what's so special to me, that all the instruments were in a vibe together, in a groove together, and they followed one another. And it's one song of many on this album called, uh, what's it called, Mighty Sound? Mighty Sound. And uh, there's many examples of this kind of flow in worship, which is, which is my heart as a worshiper. And this is what we want here at Faith Love Fellowship. So let me pray over you. We hope you enjoyed part three of Dr. Forrest's message titled Fundamentals of Worship. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. Faith Life Wilmington.